Hi, this is Steve. The problem with Fight Club is that it's so seductive. At first, you relate to the narrator's frustration with the world he lives in. After all, most of us have felt disconnected and lost in our overly commoditized and often antisocial society. Maybe you've asked yourself some of the same questions in your own search for meaning. And of course, when Tyler Durden comes along, so much of what he says sounds so right. We have been sold a lie. We are cogs in some corporate machine. And maybe the only way to get back to our humanity is to strip away that lie and lay bare some primal and often bloody kind of truth. And while Fight Club might be violent, it's also a lot of fun. There's something so thrilling about tearing down all the rules that at first you don't even notice when the club begins to transform into something else. Something bigger and more dangerous, something called Project Mayhem. And yet, for most of us, there is a moment when we realize that something is going horribly wrong. And as the narrator struggles with his own reality, we are forced to think about where exactly the line is between the understandable rejection of a toxic culture and acts of violence which can only be described as terrorism. In part two of our exploration of Fight Club, John and I wrestle with these difficult topics while still having a lot of fun discussing a movie which is as thrilling, funny, and challenging today as it was almost 20 years ago. So, if you still haven't watched this film, I highly recommend buying or renting it through our website, cinephiles.net, before you tune in this Friday for part two of Fight Club on the Cinephiles. Listen! You can run water over your hand and make it worse, or look at me! Or you can use vinegar to neutralize the burn. Please let me have it, please. First, you have to give up. First, you have to know, not fear. Know that someday you're going to die. You don't know how this feels. It's only after we've lost everything that we're free to do anything. Okay. Congratulations. One step closer to hitting bottom. Hello and welcome once again to The Cinephiles, where we return to our discussion of Fight Club. After the narrator accepts the same chemical burn as Tyler Durden, it's time to go sell some soap. Tyler sold this soap to department stores at $20 a bar. God knows what they charged. This is the best soap. Thank you, Susan. It was beautiful. We were selling rich women their own fat asses back to them. <laughs> so gross. Um, uh, we're back at work, and the boss has found the copy of the Fight Club rules oh, on the copier. Yeah. So if you're making copies of the rules, and the first rule says, <laughs> don't talk about Fight Club, you've broken the rule. Yeah. And then Ed goes into this very scary speech. I'd be very, very careful who you talk to about that because the person who wrote that is dangerous. And this button-down Oxford cloth psycho might just snap and then stalk from office to office with an Armalite AR-10 carbine gas-powered semi-automatic weapon pumping round after round in the colleagues and co-workers. This might be someone you've known for years. Someone very, very close to you. So a couple things about that. First thing is they did like 50 takes. So one of the things about Fincher is Holy Fincher, fuck. Fincher's like Kubrick. Like he, he shot on this, he shot 
probably three times as much film as most directors shoot on a feature. Good God. And to the, he shot it to the point where Ed is going, I don't know what you want. Yeah. He got really lost in it. And then they still weren't happy with it, so they did a reshoot. And what he really wanted was he wanted Ed Norton to be really scary. He wanted to be really scare the boss. And now they shot it again and they did a really scary one. And they put that in the movie and they're doing test screenings. And right before the test screenings, the Columbine shooting happened. Oh, shit. Yeah. And it was too scary. Wow. And so they went back to one of the earlier takes that was more neutral. Gotcha. Which is the what's in the film. This is still pretty scary. It's really scary. Even though it's a neutral one. Well, And this is the important thing in this film is like the people, there are people who look at this movie, who looked at this movie and went, yes, this is right. Tyler Durden is right. Fight Club is right. This is what we have to be. Right. What we have to say is this is a movie about terrorism. Yes. It's about indoctrination. It's about oh, yeah. horrible cults. violence. Cults. Yeah. yeah. And this moment, that burning the hand, and then this speech, Yeah. these are this is the turn. Yeah. It's initiation. Yeah. He initiated himself into his own cult. Right. And now he's like become a dangerous person that's right. going to hurt a lot of other people. And here's the thing, too, Steve. He left that in the copier on purpose. That's sure. him setting fire yeah. to his apartment again because yep. he's setting fire to his job. Yeah. Um, Self-destruction. And, of course, what he says about this is Tyler's Tyler's words coming out of my mouth. Yeah. Yeah. But you're Tyler, dude. And he gets a call from Marla. Compliance and liability. My tit's going to rot off. Will you excuse me? I need to take this. And wants him to come examine her breast. Man, this is a weird scene. Uh, we come in and he does this breast examination and he's being very cold to her. Mm-hmm. And she clearly has called him. Yes. Because she wants him and yeah. she loves him on some level. Well, she's attracted to him and she's interested in. Right. Yeah. But she doesn't know that she's with the person who doesn't know they've had sex. Right. You know, it's such a weird. And of course, the first time we've seen the movie, we don't know that either. We think her right. behavior is totally bizarre right. as opposed to she's with her boyfriend and she called him for afternoon sex on some level. Wow, this is a strong term. You're saying boyfriend. I don't think they're boyfriend, girlfriend at all. I, well, I don't know. I think. Well, I think she's a girl who has a lot of obviously yeah. self-esteem issues. You think so for her having a guy mistreated like this, this is what she sees love as. So, it, you know, it makes sense to her. Even though she's upset about it, she still keeps coming back because this may have been the only relationship yeah, or symbol of love she's ever had from a man. Well, and Tyler Durden, the guy that yeah. she's been dealing with, is the most charismatic, brilliant, mm-hmm. interesting, fascinating. I mean, there's and and amazing in the sack. Right. As we're going to hear later. But he rejects her. He's walking out, by the way, in the graffiti on the wall behind him as he walks out of her building. Yeah. It says, myself, myself. <laughs> Which I just think, and who does he run into? But Bob. Yeah, Bob. And Bob is so happy to see him. Cornelius. Eating those Krispy Kremes. <laughs> and he's, you know, he's not going to the support group anymore because he's found something better. Yeah. No, no, I got something so much better now. Really? What is it? Well, first rule is I'm not supposed to talk about it. And the second rule is I'm not supposed to talk about it. And the third rule Bob, is Bob, I'm a member. Look at my face, Bob. (laughs) And then Bob says, have you heard about the guy who founded it? Supposedly, he was born in a mental institution, and he sleeps only one hour a night. He's a great man. (laughs) Do you know about Tyler Durden? And there's this great reaction of like, 
I founded it. Yeah, he's I, jealous. He's jealous yeah. of himself. But also, we find out in this scene, Steve, that he's they've been having these other nights of Fight Club. Other nights. So he's he only thought it was Saturday nights. Yep. And now he's like, wait, who's doing them on Tuesdays and Thursdays? Right. Boom. Well, and it can't be him because otherwise, because Bob would know that he was Tyler Durden. Right. And Bob doesn't know that yet. So there right. are other people there. And now, of course, we have Ed Norton fight uh, Bob. And he just great. gets wiped out. <laughs> like some kind of animal. I, lo- I love the moment after where he says, I'm sorry, did I hurt you? Yeah. It's like, yeah, yeah. he did. Um, He's like some gorilla yelling over. Yeah. And now Brad makes a speech. This is one of the great speeches. Look around, I look around. I see a lot of new faces. <laughs> Shut up. Which means a lot of you have been breaking the first two rules of Fight Club. Which, of course, he wants because that's what he wants. Advertising has us chasing cars and clothes. Working jobs we hate so we can buy shit we don't need. We're the middle children of history, man. No purpose or place. We have no great war. No great depression. Our great war is a spiritual war. Our great depression is our lives. We've all been raised on television to believe that one day we'd all be millionaires and movie gods and rock stars, but we won't. We're slowly learning that fact. We're very, very pissed off. You know, we have this. Yeah. Everybody's special. You're all special. Snowflakes. They're all, you know, and it's like, no. Yeah. You know, that's not true. We've been lied to. Okay. Like, I, no, I mean, I really, I, we're not all going to be movie stars mm-hmm. and rock stars. True. You can't actually be anything you want. Right. I mean, if you believe I have no choices in life, well, then you probably won't have any. Right. You do have choices. You can't have effect on your life, but. You, yeah. you have to decide how much you're willing to commit to whatever it is you think you are going to be. That's the thing at the end of the day, right? I. I always thought I was going to make it as an actor on camera, be successful, have, be a serious I always thought I was going to be make it as a director. Right. Yeah. For me, doing that independent film with Andre a few years ago, when I saw myself on screen, that was the day my dream died. And I went home in such an incredible state of euphoria and peace. Because for once, I could make that decision on my own. For once, I didn't have to slog through the half, half in, half out. Should I, should I not? Can I deal with this rejection? Do I need to be on the set? feelings that that constantly permeated my life for the first few years that I was in LA and to let that go and to focus on what I do now was such a joy and so yes we are we can all be that but logically it wouldn't be possible to no. everybody be a movie star everybody be a successful no. director everybody do. so you got to find where you fit and hopefully in pursuit of what you want you will find what you're supposed to do and that's what you're uh, you're hoped for in life. Well, you, you know, to some degree, your description is sort of hitting bottom. Yes. By the way, yeah. And like for me, it was the, you know like the the failure of the assistants and the all the frustrations with the shark film. Like I was like, okay, that was I put everything I had into those yeah. things, yeah. and they didn't. And it was kind of going, oh, I'm not I'm not going to be that, you know. Right. And it, it and it was a painful painful process. Right. But like, and as you say. I mean, I think you're a very talented person. I think I'm a very talented person. You and I both worked hard yeah. in lots of different ways. Mm-hmm. Is that there are, and I've met people who are way more talented than me who worked super hard and got nowhere. Yep. You know, and so it's like, and there are a whole bunch of people who aren't very talented. And, you know, it's like you're, you're not going to be a movie star and a rock star. Yeah. I mean, that's honestly, I tell my students this regularly. Like, 
this is really hard. The odds are you're going to fail. And the reason I'm telling you that is because everyone I know, I only know one or two people who have succeeded in in reaching what they thought their dreams were. Yeah. And the two I'm thinking of right now are both miserable. Yeah. You know, because it's not really a lot of fun out right. there. Because um, whatever level you reach, you want that next level. Well, and you find out that it didn't solve all the other problems. Yeah. You know, <laughs> your relationship issues and your daddy yeah. issues and your horrible insecurities and your alcoholism and your right. depression and all that shit's still there. Right. You're just really rich and famous now. Yeah. And so now everybody is observing all of your messed up. You don't even, right. you don't even have privacy right. to hide behind. Well, that's what's so great about I'm saying we're in a spiritual war. Yeah, we're in a spiritual war. Right. That's a, it's a great point. Well, and this is really the, you know, this is a Generation X movie. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is, sure. this is the children of the baby boomers. And just as he finishes, he starts to go into the rules. In walks Lou, who owns the bar. What oh. the fuck is going on here? <laughs> who the fuck are you? And he wants him out. And, <laughs> and Tyler's kind of, you know, he's sassing him, sassing him, yeah, and for a reason because Lou punches him. You hear me now? No, I didn't quite catch that, Lou. Do you understand now? Punches him, punches him. Ah, okay, 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 I got it. I got it. I got it. Shit, I lost it. And then Tyler starts laughing <laughs> it's a great brad pitt laugh jesus oh it is crazy and creepy <laughs> oh. Oh. that's right Luke. get it out Shut up. Fuck oh yeah and he jumps on top of him and starts bleeding into his mouth it is yeah. one of the grossest things <laughs> in all of film and uh, his henchman is so petrified. Oh, well, what do you do? Yeah, he just starts to grab him and drag him. He doesn't even shoot anybody. No. He's so petrified. He has a gun, but he doesn't shoot anybody. He's so petrified. He just starts grabbing uh, uh, Tyler slash the narrator by the back of his pants and try to yank him off the guy. But the guy, but Tyler won't let go until Lou says, yes, you yes, can you use can the stay here. Because they're not making any money. He's not charging anybody no. anything. So. Well, and it's like. Okay, you got your your gun, and maybe you have you know twelve shots in that gun or yeah. something. You're surrounded by all these people, and you just suddenly went, "I'm in a crazy place." Yes, I don't know what the call is here. Right, and and so after this, Tyler comes up with the idea of, "I have a homework assignment." You're gonna go out. You're gonna start a fight with a total stranger, and you're gonna lose. This is great. It's a really funny montage of people being horrible yeah. to strangers. Yeah. Well, and again, this is where we're sort of going like. It's totally fun, and you are laughing at it. But then, if you think about it, you're like, "Well, this is awful." Yeah, but it's done in such a. But it's presented in a way that's funny, so really it works funny. for the movie. But also, in some some in subversive way, it's trying to get you out of your comfort zone. Yeah. Right. So yeah. Um, we're back at work, <laughs> especially the priest, which is brilliant. The priest is the funniest one, <laughs> and I think someone said that the priest is later on at the fight. He is. Yeah. He is. Yeah. He joins. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so clearly, <laughs> you know, I'm not going to say about what that says about priests, but. Um, I don't think it's the same about it's the same about human beings. Yeah, uh, we're back at work. He gets called into the office, uh, and he and the boss thinks I'm going to dress this guy down. Oh no, no, he walks into the office himself, doesn't he, or does he get called in? I feel like he walks in himself because we need to talk. And he goes, "Okay." Oh, I think you're right. I yeah, think I think right. he walks in himself and yeah. says, "We need to," because he's done being at that job, so he's going to make it all happen. Yeah, and he's like giving the normal list mm -hmm. of absenteeism, appearance, yeah. he's up for review. <laughs> I am Jack's complete lack of surprise. <laughs> uh, and he starts with blackmailing him. He's like, I know all the stuff about these cars. Are you threatening me? No. Get the fuck out of here. You're fired. I have a better solution. You keep me on the payroll as an outside consultant, 
and in exchange for my salary, my job will be never to tell people these things that I know. I don't even have to come into the office. I can do this job from home. Boss calls security, and he looks down, at, and, and Ed looks down at his hand, which starts to shake. And then he beats the crap out of himself. Which is very reminiscent to Liar Liar. Oh, <laughs> totally. He's in the bathroom beating himself up. And, what are you doing? Kicking my ass. And Ed does a fantastic job oh, God. physically. It's really, really funny. Yeah. And apparently, like, he really threw himself through the glass table. And, no you know, the, people got hurt on this movie. That's Ed Norton. No surprise. Yeah, He's he went for motherfucker. it. One interesting thing. This scene used to be before Lou. Mm. Um, and they moved it after. Oh, so good. it becomes more like one of the homework assignments. Yep. Well, it's really brilliant. And the thing is, the whole time I'm watching the movie, uh, this scene this time, I'm like, oh, I can't wait to tell Steve, like, well, there's no way he could have proved that because there, there's no, like, scars right. on the... But then I forgot that at the end, he's holding, he's holding his hands it. and yeah. he's on his knees in front of him right when the right, security guy Please don't through. hurt me. Yeah, it's brilliant. It's brilliant. And off he walks. Telephone, computer, fax machine, 52 weekly paychecks and 48 airline flight coupons. We now had corporate sponsorship. <laughs> Hilarious. There was more homework assignments. They're messing up videotapes. They're taking baseball bats to the cars. And of course, they're mm -hmm. taking a Range Rover, BMW, and that new uh, VW Beetle. It's all cars that they felt were pretentious. Yep. Um, yeah, the, the scoff at yeah. the VW Beetle is hilarious. Uh, switching the um, thing on the tire shredders. Mm -hmm. But they're pouring gas on something. And that's where you start to go, wait, what are they about to do? Yeah. Because the, the turn of this isn't funny. You know, right? You know, like shredded my this tires. Terror, this is domestic terrorism, right? We are move, starting to move into domestic terrorism, mm -hmm. and then Tyler pulls a gun. Yeah, um, but this scene is a very interesting scene. Scenes, dude. Yeah, pulls some guy out of a liquor store or something, puts him and says, "You're gonna die." Yeah. Asks him what he dreamt of doing. What did you want to be, Raymond K. Hessel? <laughs> the question, Raymond, was, "What did you want to be?" Answering Raymond Jesus. And he basically takes his driver's license and says, I know where you live. If you're not on your way to becoming a veterinarian in six weeks, you will be dead. And Ed, although of course the same person, is saying, Oh my god, that was horrible. Right. And he said, Tomorrow will be the most beautiful day of Raymond Castle's life. His breakfast will taste better than any meal you and I have ever tasted. I find these moments are interesting, Steve. Um because of how Fincher stages them. When one is upset with what the other one is doing, it is in the background. So in essence, reflecting the mind. You know, when... Yes. Oh, or helping that, like, when Norton is getting himself stitched up, Tyler is way in the back, sitting down, telling him to say, you fell down the stairs. In yes. this scene, uh, Norton is way in the back, watching Tyler doing what he's doing. And in essence, that's what's happening in his mind as well. Um. And I've had interactions with fans like this on Twitter like this. Not with a gun, but with my mouth or with my texting, mm -hmm. where I say that I push them out of their, like they come at me a certain way and I push them out of their comfort zone and go like, what about this? And what about this? And what about this? And then there's a whole nother different uh, exchange that happens. That, and watching this happen in the film was really interesting to see. Because I initially was like, why is he doing this? And then you're like, well, no, because we're all like suffering or a lot of people are suffering in this quiet loneliness because they didn't have the fear, the life or death fear they need to have to push for what they want to be in life. And too many people settle and too many people go into a comfort where they're unhappy, you know, and that's 
what he was doing. Now, whether this is the right way to do it is, of course, up for debate. Well, here, here, but he's trying to get this guy to be like, take charge of your life. Do what you want to do. Work in a convenience store is not where you want to end up. Well, here's the thing about this is Tyler is a seductive person. Yeah. And, and the way this is presented, you go, wow. And, and you believe what he says. But we don't know what happened to this guy. We don't. And the thing is, is you taking it, like if you, you have this thought, having a traumatic experience can scare you enough to change your life and make your life better. Sure. Having a traumatic experience can also fuck up your life and you never get past that moment. Absolutely. You know, and so Tyler is dictating for other people based on what his experience is, this is what's right for you. It's true. And this is what the whole rest of the movie is going to be. Yeah. I know what's right for you. You know, it's like the, the thing about this movie is it, it makes an observation, which I think is true, which is we're run by this culture in which we don't have freedom. We're making choices. We don't know why we're making those choices. Yeah. These things aren't fulfilling to us. We're labeling ourselves with these products and blah, blah, blah. And I think those observations are totally true. And then Tyler comes up with a solution. Yeah. Therefore, we must tear all of this down and I'm going to do it for everybody else. Yeah. That's where it's fucked up. I agree. Well, it's like, and this is why this is a movie about terrorism. Yeah. It's like, okay, you are lost and you discover a place and that place is in Islam. Right. Or, and, or white supremacy. Right. Or name your, or communism Whatever, or maybe. fascism. Yeah. And you go, this is the solution. Yeah. Let me cure the rest of the world. I need to feel like I belong. I've been lost. Here are people who've been found from what I can see. I want what they want, and I want to I want to feel a sense of community. Therefore, we're going to do this. And you see that no in all places now online everywhere these groups of people that have that that, set, that create these separate where they have exchanges with each other on Twitter yep. that you don't have access to unless you want to be part of that group and you get invited in. And this happens all the time. And, you know, it's legendary here in Hollywood where people have, like, these text exchanges. There's this, like, legendary text exchange of famous people who are, like, text each other and talk about what they're going to talk about in public. And there's a text exchange with Republicans. There are conservatives here in right. Hollywood who have a separate text exchange. When you become a famous conservative, you are asked to join this, and then you get told talking points as well. So it's, it's an interesting little world, this desire for community, man. Well, and... Uh, and my experience has been, I'm sure you've seen this too. Yeah. When someone gets religion, whichever way it was, they sure. started doing yoga, they sure. joined AA, they did CrossFit, <laughs> whatever it is, they were like, this is it. Yeah, yeah. And then they want to be evangelical yeah. and teach you about that thing. And when that is taken to extreme, we get to where we are now because the next thing that happens is a computer store blows up. Yep. You know, and, and, and this is where you go, whoa, wait a minute. This seems kind of weird. And now Brad Pitt turns towards camera. You are not your job. You're not how much money you have in the bank. You're not the car you drive. You're not the contents of your wallet. You're not your fucking khakis. You're the all singing, all dancing crap of the world. I mean, it, it is like really we're into indoctrination now. Mm -hmm. Um, well, The Matrix was about, once again, this late 90s stuff yeah. is what this is all about. This deconnect, disconnecting from this idea of a corporate culture or a spoon-fed culture that makes you fat, happy, sad. Even Wally -E has shades of this Absolutely. as a Pixar film. This idea of being comfortable and fat and happy. And not only fat, like physically fat, like from the excesses of the world. And yeah. so you are comfortable. And so you don't 
play a hand and you're apathetic. And we see that changing in a way now with our current, I don't want to get too political, but our current president has motivated people on both sides yep. to either partic- to participate more. And this is an interesting thing, yeah. Yeah. We see Marla find out that Chloe's dead. Yeah. That affects him on some level. And it honestly affects me. And, and then this is the first time that Ed decides... No, he doesn't kick her out, mm-hmm. and he goes, let's talk for a second. And he's asking her, what are you getting out of this? Yeah. And he, I love what he says. He says, I don't know. I don't understand. I mean, why, why does a weaker person need to latch on to a strong person? What, what, what is that? And there's such a weird thing of like, who are you talking about right now? Yeah. And then he says this thing, us. And she jumps on us like, what do you mean us? Who's us? And... At that moment, we start to hear all these noises. Yes, because it's Tyler Durden down there banging on this yeah, brain. He's like he's like, don't do it. He's like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> and again, Marla's trying to find out yeah. what's going on, um, and Tyler tells him what to say. This conversation, this conversation is over. Is over. And he gets rid of her, mm-hmm. and he goes down to t- talk to Tyler, and there's a bunch of bug beds. Yeah, he's doing all sorts of. This is a big house, by the way. Yes, it is. Um. And there's a guy in front of the house. You're too young. And he gives the narrator instructions. Right. If the applicant is young, tell him he's too young. Old, too old, fat, too fat. Applicant? If the applicant then waits for three days without food, shelter, or encouragement, he may then enter and begin his training. Training for what? Indoctrination. Yep. This is pure indoctrination. It is. It is. And this happens in the military, too. Absolutely. You're told all these things. When I served, those are things they tell you in basic. You're not going to make it private. You're not going to, you're not strong enough. You know, you got to break them down. Yeah. You're not going to break down the individuality. You're not going to make it. You should quit now. Do you want me to like the first, you want me to call your mom? The first week is them. You want me to call your mom? You want me to march you down to the bus? That's the first week of them challenging you constantly. You said no drill sergeant or whatever. Yeah, Yeah. yeah, exactly. But you do this with your students too, in a way with the directing students, you say to them, you might not make it because you want to weed out the people that don't really want to fight for it in a way. So it's like, it's that kind of presentation. Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying in a negative way. No, no, no. I would, and I wouldn't describe as weeding out because to me, because it's also like, like you're warning them too. Yeah, it's 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 like no, really, this is I I know a lot of miserable people. (laughs) Go do something else. Yeah. Um. Uh. And and what's funny, Ed jumps. Uh, the narrator jumps right on board. Sooner or later, we all became what Tyler wanted us to be. And now, next to him, Bob has showed up. Bob. There's Bob standing there, and we go over. So clearly, by the way. This has been publicized because he yeah. asks him, you have two black shirts, two black boots, uh-huh. you have money, burial money. And the guy has all these things. Yep. So this started a while ago. He lets the guy in, turns to Bob. It's a cult. Yeah. Too old, fat man, and your tits are too big. And Bob turns to go, and the narrator chases after him. Yeah. Now, here's the thing. He didn't know Cornelius is Tyler Durden. Right. Then he discovers Cornelius is Tyler Durden. Mm-hmm. Then he comes to Tyler Durden's house to be in the army. Tyler Durden yells at him. Mm-hmm. And then as he walks away, Tyler Durden immediately comes to him and says, no, man, just wait here for a few days and it's going to be cool. Right. That's what actually happened. Yeah. We assume. Yeah. Guys are now shaving their heads. And we hear the first time, by the way, we hear this thing about you're a space monkey. Mm-hmm. <laughs> space monkeys, because that is a person who has no control over their destiny. Right. And they're probably going to blow up. That's <laughs> You're probably going to die. Total lack of control. I thought it was a 12 Monkeys reference, but I'm not sure. Yeah. Oh, it's a, what year did 12 Monkeys come out? I thought it's, it was. It's, 90, it's earlier. It's 96? Yeah, I thought it was 96. Yeah. So I wonder. Could be. Listen up, maggots. You are not special. You are not a beautiful or unique snowflake. 
Here's what I think. I think that in raising kids and in, in, in the ideas about humans, we kind of go from, yeah. from pole to pole of you're special, you're unique, you're awesome. We're going to be really supportive to being tough on kids and you got to perform and do well. Yeah. And that kids who grew up in an environment that were like the, 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 the middle stepchildren of history, Generation X, who had parents who were frequently absentee because mm -hmm. they were the baby boomer parents and who didn't give them the love and affection. Now we're in the generation of all the love yeah. and all the affection. Yeah. And I wonder if this generation is going to grow up and give their kids a harder time, mm -hmm. you know? I and, think so. And, and what I think is, no, we, we should be in the middle. Yeah. The middle is the place. Like, you're not everything's perfect and wonderful and everybody's a winner yeah. and you're not kicked in the ass and told you're terrible all the time. Mm -hmm. Something in the middle. Yeah. You know, some support, some discipline. I used to be on the side of the participation trophy side. Like I used to be on that side, but I've been changing my stance on that and going, going back to the other side where no, you life is tough. Life is tough. At some point coddling does not help us. No. You know, you have to fight for what you want in life and no one's going to hand it to you. Nothing infuriates me more than when I see some of these people who walk into this business, this industry that I'm in now, and think they should be handed everything because yeah. of uh, their gender or their color or the way they look at things. No. Earn it. Fight for it. We're all in the pit fighting for it. And come out and you'll, get, you'll be stronger as a critic, analyst, whatever, if you fight for it. But expecting it to be handed to you, fuck off with that, man. Well, it's like Michael Jordan was born with amazing talent. Yeah. And also worked harder than just about anybody else. And got cut from his JV team. Yeah. What does it's, that tell you? Well, and that experience of getting cut from the JV team is one of the key motivators exactly. in his life. And that and that by saying everybody wins a trophy, you were robbing Michael Jordan of that experience that made him Michael Jordan. Right. And it's like and, and this is where I go back to there is balance. Yeah. Is that it's not that you get kicked the shit kicked out of you all the time and that's good for you. Right. And it's not that you win all the time and that's good for you. You know, it's it's funny. So my dad uh, loved games. Games played all the time in my house. Right. Uh, uh, they never. He never let me win. There was no, no. letting. No. Right. Never. My dad either. Oh never, my god. Never. Yeah. And uh, it you know, and it didn't matter what the game was. Like it could be Candyland. It could yeah. be you know Monopoly. It could be ping pong. It could be whatever it was. My dad wiped me out and frequently told me what I was doing wrong. And my dad would kind of talk smack. And and he was a brilliant game player. Yeah. I mean, just uh, unbelievable dominoes, hearts, bridge everything yeah. just really really smart and and it gave me a to my i had no idea games could be played for fun <laughs> I, I mean it's not that i didn't enjoy them no i, but I didn't it. understand like i remember going right. to i went to someone's house <laughs> and we're playing ping pong and they said and i said okay you know we warmed up a little i was yeah. like okay so we rally for serve and they said no we can just we don't need to keep score let's just play for fun and i'm like what do you for fun yeah <laughs> how do you know who wins like i literally didn't have the concept yeah and it took me a long time to go like oh no that's great and to actually turn down that competitive instinct yeah. and go like let's let this just happen so what but on the other hand i also now know parents who always let their kids win at everything and i'm like well you're teaching them you're complete and it was funny when i finally asked my dad and this was actually shortly before he died mm -hmm. But I said, Dad, you know, you never let me win. And what he said is he said, I felt that if I let you win at something, that would be lying to you. Mm -hmm. He's like, the truth is you can't beat me, and therefore to let you win would be a lie. Right. And I, again, my feeling is it's in the middle. I totally let Jax win, and I totally make him aware of what it is to lose. And sometimes if he really challenges me, because my 
son has gotten snotty. Ha ha, you lost again. I'm like, really? And then I'll wipe him out. Right. You know, because it's like, no, you have to know the reality here. Yeah. We can wrestle and you can pin me, but you have to know that I am bigger and stronger and you can't actually do that if right. I really try right. so that he can have the fun and the pleasure of winning and also have to learn to deal with losing. I yeah. mean, that's that's what I think. That's a good thing. Um, it's But but it's a hard balance. Of course. Welcome to parenting. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> um John, I can't tell you how excited I am about the Cinephile's new sponsor, an absolutely incredible game, Marvel Strike Force. Now, anyone who's listened to the show knows that I've been reading comic books since I was five years old, and this is like a comic book fan's dream come true. You could create a mobile squad and play as your favorite Marvel characters. I mean, everyone is there. The Punisher, Vision, Black Panther, Cap, or even my favorite Marvel character of all time, Daredevil. Your goal is to power up those characters, unlock gear, and use them to compete in player versus player mode, alliance mode, and real-time arena. Yes, Stephen, as we speak, they are enjoying their six-year anniversary. Six years, wow. And you know what that means? Free stuff just for signing up via their unique link in the description. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses. If you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. Completing every single mission throughout the entire anniversary will result in an even more special reward. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out, y'all. Check out that unique promo code, and for every new user, please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. Once again, Thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force. We're very, very excited to have you sponsoring this episode. Nice buns, soft, fluffy, and ultra low net carbs. Discover Hero Bread, the delicious ultra low net carb bread with incredible taste and texture. Hero Bread has zero grams of sugar and is under 100 calories per serving. Plus, high in fiber with 5 to 10 grams of protein per serving. Order from Hero.co now and get 10% off your first purchase with promo code AH10. That's 10% off with code AH10. H-E-R-O dot C-O. And so he's, we're talking about him building an army, and he says this thing again. We are the all-singing, all-dancing crap of the world. We are all part of the same compost heap. Compost heap is interesting because, it, again, we are all garbage. We're all fat to be rendered. Mm-hmm. That he keeps coming back to the you are nothing. Right. You know, I don't think Tyler Durden believes you have a soul. Probably not. Well, I mean, the no. comments about God earlier when he's burning his hand, that tells yeah. you right there he doesn't believe in that kind no, of stuff. No, he wants to tear all that stuff down. Yep. Yep. Um, you're just meat. You're not a precious little snowflake. Why was Tyler building an army? To what purpose? And what greater good? In Tyler, we trusted. <laughs> and now Ed Norton, our narrator, comes back into the house, and there's this whole group of people, and they are celebrating, and they're passing some beer around. And, of course, he just wants to know, what are we celebrating? And Bob smiles at him, and... Jared Leto takes a beer and they say, let me help you, sir. We get this word, sir, which I think is really important directed at, at Norton's character. And because of course what's happening is they don't see this strange narrator guy. They see Tyler Durden. Yeah. They don't see the two. They see just Tyler Durden. That's Tyler Durden. But are there, but are they aware like that there's two, they're not aware there's two Tyler Durdens yet. No, I don't think so. I mean, they're getting there, but they're not. I don't know that they're ever aware that they're two Tyler Durdens. I think they're aware before it all falls apart. But in but it's this is like but you see them looking around at each other. 
Well, well like, that's, why is he asking? Well, what because he yeah, exactly because he starts asking about what's going on, yeah. and 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 then we have these new scenes that have vandalism, and they talk about some mm-hmm. underground boxing ring, and right. there's you know a big fire, and we see this building where they made this smiley face out yeah, of a, yeah. out of a fire, and and they're all laughing, and of course the narrator is going, "What the fuck is this, sir?" The first rule of Project Mayhem is you do not ask questions, sir. Right, and it's such a weird scene because. Like, and this is why this movie bears scrutiny of watching it over and over and over again. Because, mm-hmm. you know, the first time you see it, we're in the Ed Norton character's world of not knowing what happened. Right. But after you know the twist, well, then you're watching it going, here are these guys where their general is mm-hmm. yelling at them yeah. over the thing that he ordered them to do. Right. It is bizarre. Well, this is what happens in cults, isn't it? Eventually, the person becomes now this isn't this is a person who's bipolar obviously or very severe case of schizophrenia it's, it's split personality split yeah. personality yeah but this is what happens people become so powerful at some point they're unaware of the things they're doing from one moment to the next you hear about this when you read or watch documentaries about cults eventually the leader doesn't remember the stuff they said from a week ago that everyone else is doing and then completely changes it so right. you're you're completely on the whim of that person well and they're sense of their own grandiosity you know it's funny i just yes. listened to i don't know if you listen to the 30 for 30 podcast i didn't realize there was no a the podcast. bikram one i want to listen to the bikram one. i just listened to it all of them all of them all yeah. the episodes okay holy fuck yeah it is so disturbing and it's just what you were just talking about yeah because they go through the beginnings of bikram yoga and his charisma and how many lives he changed mm-hmm. and how amazing it was and then they go through what he started to do with the women in the ugh. i mean it literally yeah. it made me sick to my stomach to listen well, the whole thing it's very tough to be changing people's lives and not get caught up. Like it depends on how you are built emotionally or mentally to be able to handle that kind of, like you said, grandiosity and like overwhelming amount of people saying you're great at what you do. Well, and what's interesting about fight club is, Mm. is our main character's solution to that problem is to literally split himself in two. Yeah. 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 The grandiose side is the Tyler Durden side and the other guys completely removed and all the human insecurities and all the other stuff is the narrator side. And he's rolling with it. Right, because yeah. the grandiose side—he didn't create the grandiose side to create a movement. The grandiose yeah, side critic was created to to deal with life, right, and to deal with the fact that he was not able to handle his life, even as how can I say this? As simple as his life is, to a degree, it is. He, even he couldn't handle how simple his life was. He knew something was wrong, yeah. and so this other personality had to be created to kind of call him out on it. And 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 the next thing we do is there's a there's a speech going on. It's like mayor and police commissioner and all mm. these these people, <laughs> and we see uh, uh, all of our guys in white tuxedos. And it's funny because the thing I'm thinking about now is oh they're going to like pee in the soup or something because that's what Tyler Durden right. <laughs> did earlier. But that's not what's about to go on. Now we're a whole nother level now. This guy goes off to pee and they they grab him. But you you know who that is, right? The police commissioner. He's yeah. The, yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's the. I'm sorry. It's the police commissioner yeah. that was saying we're going to go after this underground yeah. boxing ring. Swaggering on television. Yeah. They these guys goes off to pee and they grab him. They pull him into the bathroom. They they have masks on. Ed enter. Ed Norton enters last, and then you get this crazy shot. Um, oh, and they they strip him. They tape him yep. up. They apparently put rubber bands on his balls, which means they're about to castrate him. Yep. And then in comes Brad Pitt's face mm-hmm. at this weird angle. And he, and he says, Look, the people you are after are the people you depend on. We cook your meals. We haul your trash. We connect your calls. We drive your ambulances. We guard you while you sleep. Do not 
fuck with us. That is scary. But also what most rebellions are built on. Absolutely. Yeah. This idea that the, the, and we see it happening now and, and this anger in the lower classes, this anger in the people who were not making as much, this much the squeezed middle class in this country. We see this anger seething underneath on both sides, on both sides. Yeah. And so it, and they're finding who to blame for this. And it's usually yeah. the people with the money or the elite, yeah. quote unquote. After they leave the building, Tyler Durden gives some attention to Jared Leto, and we have with with Ed Norton watching, and he says, "I am Jackson Flame's sense of rejection." And again, I'm wondering, like, what actually happened? Mm-hmm. Ed Norton. I mean, because there's only one person. So did he give attention to yes. Jared Leto, yes. and then it's inside some part of himself hated the person that he was giving attention to? Yes, it's so bizarre. How how bizarre is it for Jared Leto? Oh, I know. You just stroked my head. And now you're about to beat me to a pulp. Right, which is in our next scene. Right. You know, Ed Norton takes a hit, and then he just beats the crap out of Jared Leto in this horrible, brutal way. And you see the crowd cheering, and then you see them recoiling, and then it goes on and on. Well, the hand in the face trying to stop him is the worst. Oh, yeah. It just That's like the last line of defense of a human being is just this weak attempt to stop him. And Tyler asks him, where'd you go, psycho boy? Yeah. And his response is, I felt like destroying something beautiful. There's a lot in there. But yeah, what does that mean? Does he mean just Jared Leto? I think it means the relationship. Well, and and it's between the, him and between him and Brad Pitt. And Tyler's going to want to destroy the world. Right. I mean, you know, we've got a lot of and, and and there's the relationship with Marla. You know, right? Yeah. And and, and also, where did you go, Psycho Boy? Mm-hmm. Well, this is one voice in a guy's head talking to another <laughs> voice in the guy's head. You know, so calling him Psycho Boy is like a lot of stuff going on. Yeah. And up comes a car, which they, I guess has gotten out of long-term parking at the airport. And they get into the car, and this drive is weird. The rainy drive. Yeah. And there are two Project Mayhem soldiers in the back seat. Yep. Um, uh, by the way, this is all shot on a soundstage. This is all... Uh, I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck. This is all what's called poor man's process. So they're basically bouncing <laughs> the car up and down, have little projectors in the back and are shining lights in their faces. And the conversation that happens here is, you know, Ed Norton confronting Tyler Durden about why am I not involved? Why do I not? What's going on? When you and I started Fight Club together. Do you remember that? It's as much mine as it is yours, you know. Is this about you and me? Yeah, I thought we were doing this together. You're missing the point. This does not belong to us. We are not special. Fuck that. You, you should have told me. And at the same time, Tyler Durden is drifting that car into oncoming traffic. and Hey, Tyler! And he asks, you know, what do you wish before you die? And what's interesting is both the Project Mayhem guys, they have answers. Yeah. Right away. Paint a self-portrait. Build a house. So this is a question that's happened before. Mm-hmm. Ed Norton doesn't have an answer. Right. Um, and he asks, if you were to die right now, what would you feel about your life? And they almost crash. He lets go of the wheel. And again, I, I go back to what's really happening in the scene, mm-hmm. which is there's only one guy in the front seat. Is he talking out loud? Mm-hmm. I think sometimes, I think some of this, a lot of this is being said, the conversation with Ed oh, Norton yeah. is just silent. And then he'll just randomly ask, what do you wish you would do before you die? And then he lets go of the steering wheel. Right. And there's just two guys in the back seat. It's a weird kind of... Uh, life lesson he's trying to teach him right this idea of letting go yeah i mean tyler is the worst tough love teacher you're ever going to find your entire life because he's all about exploring the boundaries of what we're supposed to be doing the societal constructs that we have all agreed to in an unconscious and way and sometimes conscious way and here he's telling him 
You got to let go. If you if you want to have this con- change in your life, you're going to have to let go to this degree where you're willing to risk your life. Yep. And that's what he's telling him, which is why he's letting go of the wheel because he was grabbing onto it and they hit yep. each other, all this kind of stuff. Yeah. And you're right. The guys in the back look ho- terrified. Yeah. And, and, and so there's this part of the personality is fighting su- for survival, mm. and the other part is fighting to let go. And Tyler's line, which is just what you've been saying, yeah. and this really the first part is the most interesting. Why do you think I blew up your condo? Hitting bottom isn't a weekend retreat. It's not a goddamn seminar. Stop trying to control everything and just let go. That's the writer talking to people, and this is uh, to to America to or to whoever's watching it. This is what. 2000 what year is this film 2002 it's 98 jesus christ 98 just when this whole explosion of psychology and therapy and inner child remember inner child stuff that was a whole thing that had been a hashtag all over twitter if twitter was right. around in 98 and so this is the i think the author chuck Palahniuk, saying this to people like it isn't a seminar it isn't something you can go and do on a weekend if you really want to change your life you got to let go really let go that's what he's saying he's not saying like in a soft way, he's saying you got to really let go and risk losing it all. Because if you don't, how are you going to change? First of all, sorry, it's 99. 99, um, sorry. And second of all... Um, That's one year. It's not that different. Um, but second of all, it's also, and this is the weird thing about this book, it's this seemingly good advice taken <laughs> to an extreme degree. Yes. Because the degree of letting go here is not only you have a good chance of dying, but killing other people. And it's completely... So, so it's like taking that good advice. That's what's so. That's I think a lot of the key to this movie is that in a lot of ways, there's stuff in here where you go, yes, this is the truth, and then where it goes is horrible. Yeah, uh, and where it goes this time is they're going to crash that car. By the way, the way they did this was the car is basically on a whole gimbal that could spin around, so it was a brutal thing inside that car as they're spinning around and bouncing them all over the place wow. um and then what's really funny is in the they crash the car and then after it's crashed brad pitt pulls ed norton out of the driver's seat mm-hmm. and the uh the continuity people the people who are quality controlling the movie mm-hmm. say this is a continuity error brad pitt was driving this is wrong and they keep trying to explain like no you don't get it <laughs> there is no brad pitt yeah there is no brad pitt yeah the guys in the backseat, do they live or die? I think they live, don't they? They live. Yeah. Because they slowly put on their their seatbelts. Right. So they're not willing to let go. No. Not 100%. Not 100%. <laughs> not yet. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, they're not this the is... advanced class, Steve. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> um, so, so we're back home, and again, Tyler says more of his philosophy. He says, In the world I see, you're stalking out through the damn canyon forest around the ruins of Rockefeller Center. You'll wear leather clothes that will last you the rest of your life. And when you look down, you'll see tiny figures pounding corn, laying strips of venison in the empty carpool lane of some abandoned superhighway. This is what Tyler Durden actually wants. Mm. He wants back to, he wants the destruction of all civilization. Sure. And, And this is this thing that I keep thinking about, is the difference between being able to observe the problems in the world and the problems in our life, mm. and the difference between that and the ability to solve them mm. is like, it's easy to point at the world and say, that's fucked up yeah. in whatever way you want. But the solutions that Tyler Durden comes up with, those aren't going to make it better. No, but at least he's taking action. Well, that's what he would say. Yeah. I mean, apathy is the language of the devil. And so it's like, what he's doing is at least 
putting some skin in the game uh where other people are like for and i'm guilty of this many uh, myself other people spew on twitter all this stuff but never do anything so he's saying you can talk all you want what are you doing sure <laughs> i'm not saying he's do- right yeah, what he's i'm doing not saying he's when right. you blow up a city <laughs> well sure I mean, yeah, but I mean, I mean, sometimes sometimes doing something is not actually the right thing. But this is when no, doing, no. Of course, I'm yeah. not saying I'm look. I'm not advocating what he's doing is correct. I I'm think saying you just did. Actually, yeah, I'm just saying that this is why he's the leader because he's actually doing something. Absolutely. And all these people behind him have been afraid to do something about it, and they're waiting for someone to open the door. Yeah. And then Tyler. Tyler was gone. And we go back to this refrain of Was I asleep? And I slept. And I love as he's walking through the empty house now. Mm. There's a moment where he closes the door, and on the back side of the door, which we don't know if he ever saw, was filled with licenses. Mm-hmm. You know, which means that they went out and did that thing they did to that guy who wanted to be a veterinarian over oh, yeah. and over and over again. Yep. And the narrator, he might not even remember any of them. Nope. Yeah, it's very it's very upsetting. Um, this movie really bothers you. Man. <laughs> I love this movie. Yes, you do. I love this movie. But what what it, 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 it this is where it's a movie is the more you look around the corners of it, you go like, oh, what's actually happening here is mm-hmm. really disturbing. Sure. Okay. <laughs> and, and it's and now he's walking around and there's these all these Project Mayhem guys and they're all repeating these Tyler Durden phrases. Yeah. You know, you are not a snowflake. You are not. You know, you are the how ironic. Thing. Yeah. You are not a snowflake. How ironic. Yeah. And when he walks through, they're all just silent around him. Yeah. And and it means that he is Tyler Durden has told them something to not talk to him. Right. You know, that's your first clue that yeah. this something is amiss. Well, this is and and this is the sequence where it's really gonna it really becomes I don't remember if I figured it out before I fi- mm-hmm. was supposed to figure it out. I, I don't I remember. Certainly didn't. But but watching it now it's really obvious. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um uh and we see Jared Leto and he is all beat to crap. Um it's uncomfortable how he looks. And he just says, it's all under control, sir. And then we get this quote. My father dumped me. Tyler dumped me. I am Jack's broken heart. And here's what uh, David Fincher said about this. He says that what the narrator must do in the course of this movie is he must kill his father, kill his God, and kill his teacher. Damn. Yeah. Okay. Um, and Not then, literally. No. Well, I mean, what is Tyler to him? Right. What is his father? You know what? And yes, he doesn't literally have to kill his father, but yeah. but in in murdering, you know, like I don't know. There's a lot of weird symbolism in here. It's a little doors action. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Marla shows up and she asks about who all the people are and asks what's you know what's going on. And his response is, "He's not here." What? Tyler isn't here. Tyler went away. Tyler's gone. And she walks away. Yeah. Because she doesn't want to be part of this lunacy anymore. Like, to, I think she realizes that he's, like, what does this mean to her? Like, the Tyler thing. Like, what is that all about? Well, could you imagine? Like, if I went up to Karen yeah. and Karen said, Karen's not here. Karen gone. Right. What does that mean? Well, if you had been sleeping with this other version of Karen... And there have been two versions of Karen. Like, how aware is Marla of the well, two this, versions of Tyler and uh, the well, narrator? Because there's a difference between knowing that per- someone has a completely fucked up personality. Where yeah. One minute they're nice to you and one minute they're an asshole. Yeah. And knowing that they actually aren't recognizing that there are two 
you know, that, that they aren't identifying as two different people. Well, some of us dated, have dated or been in relationships with people who are completely different in the bedroom than they are outside right. of the bedroom. Right. Right? Of, well, well, I haven't, but, but, of, <laughs> but of course. <laughs> I, I started dating my wife in 1991. <laughs> <laughs> but I've heard that such a thing is possible. Yeah, I dated a girl a few years ago. I'm not going to get too deep into the story. I dated a girl for a few years ago. Sweet as pie. Loved soft rock. Enjoyed cuddling at a beautiful bulldog. She was sweet. We get in the bedroom, and it was, she's the general in the army. Like, it was insane. <laughs> Come get some. Come get yours is literally, quote for quote, what, verbatim what she said to me. She was on top of me. We we're having sex, and then she rolls over, and she goes, Come get some. And I was like, what is happening? It was really strange. Well, and how weird would it be to realize later on that actually That's these a whole other two, person. that these were different people yeah, who yeah. didn't know each other? <laughs> well, let me tell you, it felt like it sometimes. I'm well, we lie. never know. You might have dated Tyler Durden. I yeah, maybe. The female version of Tyler Durden. There's gunshots. Yeah. And in come the Project Mayhem folks, and they're describing what happened and that Bob got shot. They were yeah. they were blowing up a, a a fountain and and then and then a police started shooting and Bob got shot in the head. And then this horrible moment where he pulls off the mask and out comes some brains. It's terrible. Yeah. Um and he wigs out on them. You're running around in ski masks trying to blow things up. What did you think was going to happen? And they're kind of like, well, we have to get rid of the body. And mm -hmm. there's the, the, this moment is so amazing to me. It's a cult moment. It's absolutely a cult yeah. moment. Yeah. And, and, and he's talking about Bob. And they say, oh, we don't, in Project Mayhem, we don't have names. And, and, and Ed Norton's response is, no, this is Robert Paulson. He's my friend. And they take that in. And, of course, they're talking to Tyler Durden. Right. And they go, oh, I get it. Mm -hmm. After you're dead, we can have names. His name is Robert Paulson. His name is Robert Paulson. His name is Robert Paulson. Come on, guys. His name Stop it. is Robert Paulson. His name is Robert Paulson. His name is Robert Paulson. This is all the way. His name is Robert Paulson. His name is Robert Paulson. Right. And that becomes this chant. Mantra. This, yeah, mantra. This, yeah. yeah. And it is so, and what's so funny, like, and he says, it's like, they're morons, you know, like these are a bunch of idiots. Yeah. Um, and there's some truth there. Well, yes, but this is, this is like I was saying, this is the cult thing, right? Here's something that's completely wrong. You brought, this guy got shot in the head. You should be taking him to the hospital or alerting well, his next, and before next that, kin. They destroyed a whole bunch of public and private property. Of course, of course. But as it's progressing, the stakes are getting higher. Yeah. Therefore, your commitment to the cause must be even more yes. fervent. Yes. And so anything wrong that happens, you have to find a way to excuse it and make it look great. Yep. And so you see this happening in this moment because mm -hmm. they're all chanting for Paulson, because the other option is to say, this is fucked up. We need to get out of this. Right. But once you're this knee deep into it, it's really hard to turn the psychology around. And we're seeing this now with uh, these people breaking out of Scientology, these people breaking out of the NXIVM stuff that's happening with Allison Mack and that, that Ranieri guy. Like you're reading these stories and you're just like, Jesus Christ. Like this is this is how deep you can get lost in how deep this thing really goes. Well, in, in, in any, you know, violent endeavor, mm -hmm. you know, it's like, you know, I personally believe that the war in Afghanistan is is lost. That there isn't a solution to the war in gotcha. Afghanistan. That's gonna. That there's not a winning situation. Right, right, right. But how do you say to 
to the soldiers who have lost their lives and lost their buddy lives and been mm. wounded and injured and risked and say, you know what, we're just going to walk away. Yeah. You know, because then it's like, well, what did I fight for? Or you think of the war in Iraq where I believe that we attacked under false pretenses. Mm -hmm. And, but you don't want to say to a bunch of people who lost their lives, oh, by the way, there was no reason to do that. Yeah. yeah. That's horrible. That's the humanity, man. That's yeah. being a human being. Yeah. You know, we don't have all the answers. So our narrator is now looking around and he flies, finds all these, uh, airplane stubs these travel stubs yeah. that apparently tyler durden and all the name of tyler durden he's done a lot of traveling been busy that time yeah so he 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 starts getting on a plane and we go into this montage and and again it's so clear what is actually happening when mm -hmm. you watch it the second time because he says every city i went to as soon as i set foot off the plane i knew a fight club was close and he walks into a place and someone says, I wish I could help you, sir, and winks. <laughs> and the reason, of course, because he was just there. Yeah. <laughs> he's been there. Every single place he's going, he's already been there. And that's what he says, I think he says. He like, does. I had a feeling of deja vu or something like yeah. that. Yeah, I feel like I'd been there before. And, and he goes into another place and the guy says, I'm not exposed to speak any such information to you, nor would I even if I had said information you want at this juncture be able. You're a moron. And again, he says, was I asleep? Have I slept? And then was Tyler my bad dream or am I Tyler's? The first time you see it, you don't pick up on it. Nope. And the second time it's like, oh my God, he's saying it the whole time. <laughs> Everywhere he goes, he can smell the old blood and the sweat. Um, and he feels like he's just one step behind him. Right. And I mean, who knows what's even happening? He could fly to a place, walk into a bar as Tyler walk out of the bar, walk right back in as the narrator sure. five minutes later. Sure. Who knows? And he finds this guy with this rig on his head oh. that wears like obviously had a, a neck injury from the fighting, from the fighting. Yeah. And he is, might be the dumbest of our, of our project mayhem. And he goes, you were in here last Thursday, Thursday. You were standing exactly where you are now asking how good security is. It's tight as a drum, sir. Who do you think I am? Are you sure this isn't a test? No, this is not a test. You're Mr. Durden. You're the one who gave me this. And he shows him the burn on his hand. Please return your seat backs to their full, upright, and locked position. And this is a great moment. Yeah. Because the first time Tyler showed up was on a plane. Yep. Therefore, everything connects back to plane terminology. Well, and it was the moment he thought of the plane crash is yes. the moment he sees Tyler Durden. Yes. So he goes back to his hotel, and who does he call but Marla? Yep. Marla, it's me. Have we ever done it? Done what? Have we ever had sex? What kind of stupid question is that? And I love his response. To stupid because the answer is yes <laughs> or no. And finally, she just lays it out. You fuck me, then snub me. You love me, you hate me. You show me a sensitive side, then you turn into a total asshole. Is that a pretty accurate description of our relationship, Tyler? We have just lost cabin pressure. <laughs> At this point in the movie theater, you're going, oh, shit. Have you ever tried to watch the movie as if it's Tyler's story and that Ed Norton is the made-up person? Well, that's what I've been thinking about yeah. is watching it. Like, cause I keep going through like, well, what is happening? How did this actually happen? What is the reality here? The last couple of times I've watched it, I've yeah. watched as if we're that uh, Ed Norton is the made up person. It's a fantastic way to watch the movie. Well, and the thing is, I'll say this two different ways. Mm. One is they're both real. I mean, they exist. Yes. They have personalities, they yeah. have relationships, they have names, they have Absolutely. ID. Mm -hmm. 
And we're, and the other way I could say it is we're all made up people. Yeah. You know, exactly. We all construct a, a facade that we show to the world and that facade changes depending on who we're interacting with under what circumstances. One of them you might call the outlaw. Yeah. <laughs> you walked me right into that and I don't appreciate it. <laughs> it just occurred to me as I was going. <laughs> right, right. Well, uh, but yeah, but that, I mean, when you watch it that way or when you think about this moment, also because of the idea that there's two people like maybe uh, Tyler Durden is the real person and he realizes how terrible he is. And there's some piece of humanity that snaps and wants sure. to create this other better version of himself that he knows exists. Yeah. But he doesn't like, but he doesn't know how to come to terms with it. Or he's like dangerous and, and, and antisocial. And so he f- goes mm. like, I have to shut all that stuff down Just and a become a working slob right. and not, you know, but then that part comes out, right? Because we don't actually know what the name of our main of Ed Norton's no, character that's what is. Say his name could be Tyler Durden. Yeah, Ooh, it's not even... Robert Paulson. I know that. <laughs> no, <laughs> his name is Robert Paulson. Um, and of course, what happens right at this moment, where after he's brought up the name of Tyler Durden to Marla, is suddenly who is sitting in the room with him? Is Tyler, Tyler. Durden and calls him out? Yep. Yeah, you broke your promise. And Tyler is shaved now. Yeah. He's even sexier than he was before, for lack of a better term, because Brad Pitt's a sexy fucker in this whole movie. He is sexy in this moment. Oh, yeah. His, like, leather, bright leather pants, the the sheepskin jacket or whatever he was wearing, the tank top, all of it. And the sun, everything is just very, like, just ready to battle. It's full It's full on. Yeah. He is in, he is in full effect now. Yeah. And, and now we go through it as they're having this conversation. Answer me. Why do people think that I'm you? I think you know. And we flash back to these moments, mm-hmm. like him sitting alone, burning his hand with the, <laughs> with the lie. Yeah. And he sees himself as Tyler. If this is your first night at Fight Club, you have to fight. Little by little, you're just letting yourself become Tyler Durden. And what Brad Pitt says is, all the things you wanted to be, that's me. Mm-hmm. Like, I became what your fantasy. Yeah. Um, he's, and then we go and we see that, in fact, instead of fighting Tyler Durden that night outside of the bar, he was just punching himself in the face. Yep. Which is, the way, by the way, the weirdest little connection in here, that there's some guys at a bar who see another guy punch, beating the crap out of himself mm-hmm. and says, can I have a turn? Right. That first guy who says, I want to punch the guy who's punching himself. Yeah. That's a weird moment. In, it's in, an airplane moment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. And, you know, the house is rented in his name. You you have night jobs because you can't sleep. You're the one fucking Marla. Mm-hmm. And then we get to this idea of she knows too much. I think we're going to have to talk about how this might compromise our goals. That's a whole other turn that the movie takes that now, oh, Marla is in danger. And then he passes out. And I love that we say it's called a changeover. Mm-hmm. We get the cigarette burn. The movie goes on and nobody in the audience has any idea. <laughs> That's the weird level of this movie is that not only is the reality of the movie getting fucked with, but we're actually getting fucked with the, the reality of movies. Yeah. And that we are watching a movie. He goes home. The place is empty and he's going, oh, have I been Tyler longer and longer? And he remembers this idea with enough soap, we can blow up anything. And he finds all these phone numbers. He starts calling the phone numbers to talk to security guards and supervisors. And who does he get on the phone? Just members of Project yep. Mayhem. It'll, it's all handled, sir. Everything under control, sir. <laughs> 
He runs to Marlon. I love him kind of jumping out of the cab with yeah. papers and everything falling <laughs> apart. I mean, he's to, he takes her into to, to a cafe, uh, like a, a diner to get some food, and the guy waiting on them, that's Project Mayhem guy. Yep. Sir, anything you order is free of charge, sir. <laughs> and stay away from the clam chowder. <laughs> <laughs> and Marla's flipping out about all this. Of dude. course, because she, she calls him Dr. Heckle and Mr. Jackass. Yeah. <laughs> which is a great, great, great line. Um, and he's trying to explain the full extent of our relationship was not clear to me. Um, and, and she tries to get out. And he's trying to explain, like, your life is in danger. And would you believe Tyler Durden at this point? No. Yeah. And, and I love her her description. She says, I tried, Tyler. I really tried. I know you did. There are things about you I like. You're smart. You're funny. You're spectacular in bed. There's a great little look from Ed Norton at that yeah. moment. <laughs> but... You're intolerable. You have very serious emotional problems. He's going like, you're not safe. Yeah. Bus stops. He stops the bus for her to get on. Mm -hmm. And by the way, there's a movie theater and like a movie poster. The movie theater is playing Seven Years in Tibet. Yeah, the Brad Pitt. And I think the poster is The People vs. Larry Flynn. (laughs) I didn't notice the poster. Isn't that awesome? That's great. And he gives her some money to get on the bus, but I cannot look at where the bus is going. Right. Which is a great little touch. Next place he goes, the police. I need you to arrest me. I am the leader of a terrorist organization responsible for numerous acts of vandalism and assault all over the city. And the kind of lead detective is going, okay, this is very interesting. Mm. He steps out. He's left with these other detectives. Oh, man. And they say, I really admire what you're doing. What? You're a genius, sir. (laughs) (laughs) Once again, these aren't... It isn't the upper echelon that are no. following him. It's the lower people, right? These are the detectives below the main detective. And and what are yeah. the orders that they've been given? To, to circumcise him, right? Or Not circumcise. Kill it? Is castrate. It, castrate, yes, castrate. Sorry. Circumcise was done to me hey, when oh, I was a little kid. Me too. It's, it's, you know, even with an adult, it would be painful. Yes. Taking your testicles away is a whole other That's thing. A, yeah. yeah. It's a eunuch situation. And I love his first response is, look, I'm not Tyler Durden. Mm-hmm. They, he, you told us you would say that. Yeah, and, and he says, okay, I am Tyler Durden. I order you. And they say, we told, you told us you would say that too. too. But he manages to get the gun. And he, he, he and his pants are down. He's in his underwear. And he points the gun at them. And I love his, his line, which I think is an Ed Norton improv. First person comes out this fucking door gets a, gets a lead salad, you understand? <laughs> <laughs> That's a really funny line. Right, because he's not going to talk tough. No. No, and he runs out in his underwear, out into traffic. In th- there's like a slow mo shot of him that is just amazing. It's so funny what's happening, and we head off to the place, the address where one of the bombs is going off. He gets outside the building. Who's standing in front of the building? Tyler Durden. Well, come on then. I got us a great place to watch from. It'll be like pay per view. Uh, and he can't get in through the door, which is locked. He tries to ram it open. Um, Tyler's now on the other side of the door. He fires at Tyler Durden, stratters the glass, goes inside the building, goes down to the parking garage, finds a van, opens it up. There's a timer and a shit ton of nitroglycerin. And here's Tyler again. Now what are you doing? I'm stopping this. Why? The greatest thing you've ever done, man. No, I can't let this happen. And now we get to the moment, which I think we talked before because we have several movies where someone had to cut the wire on the bomb right before it goes off. Yeah. We've had Armageddon. We've had other ones. Mm -hmm. This is a funny one (laughs) because it's how do you know which one to to cut? He's like, well, 
if you know, then I know. He's like, yeah, but maybe I just thought about the wrong one a whole bunch. <laughs> but he cuts the right one. We get outside. <laughs> and now he's got a gun on Tyler Durden outside the van. So great. And he fires on him. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> Brad Pitt's reaction is so awesome. It's fantastic. Whoa. Whoa. Okay. You are now firing a gun at your imaginary friend near 400 gallons of nitroglycerin. And then we get in a fight in this fight. And man, the way Brad Pitt fights in this, I just love the way he throws his coat off. Yeah. It's great. And then he does all this Bruce Lee stuff. Of course he would. Yeah. And you, and you intercut between this fight where Brad Pitt is pretty much kicking the shit out of our narrator to the security camp footage <laughs> where it's just a guy beating up himself and dragging him around the... Oh, when he throws himself down the stairs is incredible. Oh. And after going down the stairs, we cut to where we began in the movie. Yeah. Um, and... And, and and we started with the, he was trying to think of something, which led us into this whole flashback. Right. And then we come back with, oh, still can't think of anything. It's like flashback humor. <laughs> Again, referencing the fact that we are really in a movie. Yeah. Uh, and and he's trying to, con- Tyler's trying to convince the narrator that this is a good idea. Think of everything we've accomplished, man. Out these windows, we will view the collapse of financial history. One step closer to economic equilibrium. Which and what we should say, which I don't think we said, is that the plan is to blow up all the financial institutions so that all the digital credit, money, everything goes back to zero. Everybody's back to zero. Yeah. Which, by the way, is the same plot as Sneakers. Oh. Which is okay. a movie I totally like. I don't know if it's one you ever want to do. I like that movie. Yeah. I don't know if it's quite at the... I don't know if it's at that level, but, you know. I like it. We did Armageddon. Yeah. And we did Police Story, so, yeah. yeah. Well, we'll see. And what's going to throw off this economic equilibrium? Bus pulls up, and there's Marla. Marla. And it's funny. Marla is the key turn for him at each moment. Oh, of course. In his life. Right. She's the one person yeah. messing up this relationship. Yeah. Inadvertently. And, right. And Tyler's like just tying up loose ends. Yeah. Um, Which means when he was knocked out, he remembered everything that Ed Norton did and then tried to reverse everything. Right. Yeah. He knew exactly what bus he put her on. Right. How much he gave her. Yep. How far she could go in that. And first he pl- begs him. And... And then they get in this conversation of like, well, you're a voice in my head. It's like, no, you're a voice in mine. Mm-hmm. You're a fucking hallucination. Why can't I get rid of you? You need me. No, I don't. I really don't hey, anymore. You created me. I didn't create some loser alter ego to make myself feel better. Um, which, of course, as we said before, we don't really know if that's true. Right. And Tyler's like, you should be grateful. You are nothing until you had me. And he responds like, well, I am grateful, but I don't want this. Yeah. It's like, yes, you do. And now we're at 60 seconds. And at 60 seconds, I'm going, as a person watching the movie, oh, we can't get out of this. There's no, we got vans in multiple buildings with bombs in them. There's, there isn't any stopping this. Yeah. And our main character comes up with a solution. I got a zoom in your hand. I got it in my hand. Then suddenly the gun is in his hand. Right. And Tyler's very impressed. Hmm. And, but I think Tyler Durden still thinks he's going to shoot him. But then, no, he, he puts the gun in his mouth. Yep. And Tyler's the first time who's going like, wait, 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 stop. Tyler. I want you to really listen to me. Okay. My eyes are open. And he shoots himself in the mouth. Mm-hmm. And then we cut to Brad Pitt, who says, 
what's that smell? And then we see the bullet wound in the back of his head. Yeah. And he falls. And that's when the elevator door opens and their guys come in with Ed and they see uh, they see his his smoking face <laughs> and Ed stands up and they go, are you all right, sir? Oh, yeah, I'm okay. You look terrible, sir. What happened? Oh, nothing. No problem. Oh, no, no, sir. He's not kidding. You look really awful. You need medical assistance. I'm fine. Oh. And they drag in Marla. You fucker. What kind of sick fucking game are you playing at? Putting me on a fucking... Bu- oh, my God. Your face. <laughs> it's such a weird scene. Yeah. And the two guys go back in the elevator and go, like, man, he's a tough motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> all, everything he does it just gets more respect instead of being insane. Yeah, the myth of Tyler just gets yeah. bigger and bigger. Um, and... And he looks at he and Marla. He goes, "Look, I'm really okay. Trust me, everything's going to be fine." Boom. <laughs> we go into this montage of all those buildings collapse, and it's to a Pixie song, and it is a great dramatic musical moment. Mm-hmm. And the film starts to shudder as we see, like the you know the film strip like coming in and out of frame. And then what's the last thing we see? A subliminal cock. Yeah. <laughs> and that is the end of Fight Club. Yeah, man. By the way, in the book, the main character ends up in a mental institution. As well he should. Yeah. Yeah. I don't care how much. That's not how you solve the problem is shooting it out of your brain. So I have a question for you. Oh, all right. The person that says everything's going to be fine. Yes. Who is that? Oh, I think it's Ed Norton at this point. You think he's killed the Tyler Durden personality? I think he's killed. Yeah, because Taxi Driver is correlative to this film. Yes. We don't get that flash of red that we get at the end of Taxi Driver. We don't get that with Tyler. But the subliminal cock, though, is something to focus on. That means maybe that's the flash of red is the subliminal cock. Well, I I think it is. Here's the other thing that we get Mm -hmm. is he looks out over the world being destroyed. Yeah. Takes the hand of the woman he loves and says, everything's going to be fine. Right. Would Ed Norton, the Ed Norton who was desperately running to stop this, say everything's going to be fine? I think so because the sh- the the bullet, him surviving that, changes him. Yeah. Because if you notice, he's very in command from that point forward, yep. with the guys, with Marla, with the situation. So to me, it's him finally realizing that he has to take some of Tyler with him. And before yes, he kills Tyler, before he kills Tyler, he has a kind of complimentary conversation with him. Yeah. And so then shoots and just because he's done with it. Here, here's what here's what I think. I definitely do not think that this is the narrator. I think this is this is not that person. Right. I don't think this is Tyler Durden. Right. I think this is synthesis. I think yeah. this is yep. that he is what he actually it seems like he killed Tyler Durden. Yeah. But I think because he says everything's fine and we have the subliminal cock yeah. at the end, I think what he actually destroyed is the barrier between the two personalities. Absolutely. And he did what you said earlier. He killed Tyler, his dad, and his God all in one. Yep. By shooting himself. Well, and just all and his, three of them. And the civilization is maybe his God, you know, like. No, Tyler was his God. Yeah. Tyler was his mentor. In my opinion, in my opinion, I, Tyler I, yeah. is his God. Tyler is his dad. And Tyler is Tyler, right? And so him killing Tyler is in or trying or trying to kill Tyler in essence kills all three in one shot. Yeah, um, that's just my opinion. So the movie's finished. <laughs> the studio uh, is very worried about this movie. Of course, as well they should be. 
right before the movie release, there's the Columbine shooting. Oh, Jesus, that's right. And that sort of makes puts a damper on how they want to <sighs> advertise it. Oh, they it. have huge arguments about how to market, market the film. Right. Uh, Fincher wants like an underground marketing campaign that's weird and surreal. And the studio wants a traditional marketing campaign, which is what they do. Starring Brad Pitt and Edward Norton. Yeah. yeah. And uh, it, it premieres at Venice Film Festival. And it's very disappointing in the box office. It has a mostly negative critical reception. There's lots of debate about what this movie means. Very divisive movie. It certainly touches a nerve in the male psyche and to the point where there are fight clubs that pop up around the world and people are like going like, yes, this is the answer. Yeah. And then it also, it, there's some comparison to a Clockwork Orange, which I think actually is a good comparison. That's fair, yeah. Um, and then there's also a real sort of politically correct left leftist reaction, which is that this is a, a fascist, violent film fantasy yeah and it's one of those movies we've now had a bunch of these which it becomes a hit on home media yeah yeah um well you don't and i don't want to shirk i think we should also mention it's a huge backlash in the feminist community and absolutely women yeah. who the right the, i think ann coates wrote a whole thing about this and mm -hmm. there's a number of articles and i read a bunch of these articles just to you know, just to have another take on this, because I love this movie to pieces. It appeals to a lot of my masculinity, inherent masculinity. You know what I'm saying? And so when you read it from a woman's point of view and see what they have to say, and especially these learned women uh, who know how to write and, under and understand how to dissect and analyze uh, a movie like this, it's fascinating to see their point of view on it. And I don't disagree like, with a lot of their points, but I still love the movie in spite of it. I mean, I, maybe this is ruining my final thoughts a little mm. bit, but I think what is great about this movie is to see it as an argument and a discussion. Yes. You know, this is a challenging movie. Yeah. And part of what makes it challenging is there's some fucked up shit in this movie. It's very divisive. Movie. And being offended by some of the shit in this movie is correct. It's the point. Yeah. And and, and what's hard is, what's difficult about the movie is the way it, it seduces you. Yes. Um. So I have a whole complicated because one thing people don't know about this show is every once in a while for one reason or another we start a recording about a show and then mm -hmm. and then we don't have time to finish it and this is one where i had to run out i had a thing to do and so it's actually two weeks there was a two-week break between when we started and when we finished it and unfortunately that two weeks gave me a lot more time holy to shit. think about this film holy shit so we're not done with the movie no because there's something else like, and this will all maybe right. i'll kind of this will kind of lead into our final thoughts okay um and maybe you know we'll see how it all kind of plays out but here here's the thing that i was thinking about is that I think that Fight Club fits into a very strong tradition within American art and literature okay. that has to do with breaking bonds with society. Sure. And, and in particular, the man going off on his own. And you could see this in mm. Hemingway. You can see this in, you know, Ralph Ellison's Invisible Man. You can see this with Moby Dick. You can see this with all of this history of literature that is about society is corrupt. It is terrible. Mm -hmm. Or like movie like Mosquito Coast is another one that occurs to oh, me. Yeah. You know, and therefore we have to break ties with society or into the wild. And, you know, there's so many movies. It's been fantastic. Yeah. If you haven't seen that yet, that has. I have not. Um, but there's so many movies where it's like we have to break off ties with this mm. and go outside of the rules of society and test ourselves in these certain ways. And that's how we're going to find out who we really are. And what I was thinking about uh, is that all this goes back to Henry David Thoreau and Walden. Mm. And I know that making a comparison between Thoreau and Fight Club might sound crazy, but I want to read you some Walden quotes. Okay. Um, and, I, and just see if you can hear these coming out of the mouth of Tyler Durden, if the language is a little different. Mm -hmm. The mass of men lead lives of quiet desperation. 
Yes. That is a Tyler Durden line. Mm -hmm. Um, I went to the woods because I wanted to live deliberately to front only the essential facts of life and see if I could not learn what it had to teach. And when I came to die, discover that I had not lived. You know, you could see him like stripping down to live in that house is stripping down life to its essentials. Yes. Uh, not until we are lost do we begin to understand ourselves. That's right out of Fight Club, isn't it? Yeah. It is not enough to be busy. So are the ants. The question is, what are we busy about? Um, the price of anything is the amount of, I'm sorry, the price of anything is the amount of life you exchange for it. Mm -hmm. That's like, you don't own your things, your things end up owning you. Uh, disobedience is the true foundation of liberty. The obedient must be slaves. Mm. It's right out of Tyler Durden. Um, our inventions are wont to be pretty toys which distract our intention from serious things. They are but improved means to an unimproved end. This is all like Tyler Durden stuff, mm -hmm. you know, is that the idea of the society that is keeping you down and the need to test yourself and the need to strip everything away and to lose everything and to find truth. That seems to be an essential principle to the American psyche yeah. that has flowed through literature forever. Well, it's the constant. How can I say this correctly? It's the constant change, isn't it? Because you. Because eventually Thoreau came back to society, came back to yep. civilization. So we have to do these occasional trips out into these places, maybe, if we are any kind of self-reflective person, in order to test ourselves. And some men can do this, and or people, rather, relevant of gender, can go out into these areas and purposefully cut themselves off from everything and explore what happens to them and what comes up for them. And they hope they learn something that they can bring back into society for themselves to deal with society or civilization uh, better. But, you know, we acclimate. It's easy to think about civilization or where you're going to go or what you're going to do when you go out there because there's no one there to distract you or test you. To me, that's like practice. And civilization is the game. Going out there and cutting yourself off is you training around orange cones and doing all this kind of stuff. But once you come back to play the game, can you apply what you learned in practice to the game? And this, and a lot of people get lost in the game, get overwhelmed by the game, and then have to pull themselves out to go practice again. And so that's it's the constant thing that happens over and over again. I think it's funny that the I think the way of looking at it as practice, mm. I think that's a really healthy way to look at it. Mm -hmm. And I think what we see in Fight Club is a really unhealthy way to look at it. Yeah, you know, is that is like there's a moment because another one that this relates to is Apocalypse Now. Is that, and there's a moment when mm. we just, because Apocalypse Now is Kurtz has decided, has seen the ills of society, Ooh. he's seen the madness of it, and his response is, therefore, you must be mad. Like, mm -hmm. that's the only way to deal with this. And I remember when we did our podcast, which is still one of my favorites, is there's a moment where you kind of challenged me. And it was, it was to, to say like, well, what did I really think? And I, I somehow throughout the podcast had kind of withheld what I thought without thinking about it. And so it was so great that you challenged me. And it's like, no, Kurtz is a monster. Mm. You know, he's an evil person. He's taken this great observation and his charisma and his intelligence and he's used it towards evil. Mm -hmm. And that is what is actually happening in Fight Club. Mm. You know, is that, and this is, you said it earlier that this is a cult. Mm. And if you look at, and what a cult does is it takes some truths and some positive things. You know, it's like what happens that there's all these stages when you find the wisdom, you know, when you find the great thing, you find religion in whatever way, whether it's 
doing yoga or doing martial arts or 12-step programs or a political movement or a social movement or hippies or communists or whatever, is that you go, this is it. I found the answer. And you're following a charismatic leader. And sort of the next thing that happens is you go, well, I found the answer. I got to get everyone else to believe this. Yeah. And you start trying to persuade people. And that's in the movie where they're like, your assignment is to pick a fight and to lose. Yeah. Is they're trying to bring other people in to what the answer is. And this is the first place where it's trouble because it's sort of like, look, that might be the answer for you. Right. But that ain't the answer for me. And then the other thing that happens is when you found a thing that solves your life, then you start to believe all the other stuff that's attached to that thing as Mm -hmm. the truth. So even though it was actually having the fight club and having that physical experience, that really changed your life. But then Tyler Durden says the problem is the banks and the corporations. And the problem is this and the problem mm-hmm. is that. And the problem is your father and the problem is all that. And that you go, well, if this thing was true, that changed my life, then all the other stuff was true. Right. You know, so if if it is true that the, you know, the, the uh, Russian royalty is oppressing the serfs, well, then everything else in, within the communist doctrine must be true, mm. you know? And that's when you start doing horrible, horrible things. And you look at every revolution, or not every revolution, but all these violent revolutions, there are good reasons why the Russian Revolution and the Iranian Revolution or the um, French Revolution happened. Sure. But then those things went to chaos and madness because they followed their charismatic leaders mm-hmm. and their ideas to the end. And that is what's happening in Fight Club. And this is why I actually don't find it to be even though there are a bunch of people doing things that maybe are what would be called toxic masculinity, to me, it is an indictment of all of those things as they are taken to the nth degree. And that's why it's a really interesting movie. So you start with Thoreau saying these beautiful things, yeah, yeah, yeah. but you end up with blowing up the world. Right. You Which know? ultimately is the end of every revolution. Yeah. Is blowing up whatever the societal world that has been constructed that you're, you're rebelling against. Yeah. And I think that's why the American Revolution is such a... An anomaly. It is. It is not a, a it is it is the exception to the rule of revolutions because it was not led by one man. It was multiple people of wealth, of power, yes, of land owning, whatever, but they had agreed to be unanimous. That's incredible. Mm-hmm. Right? It is it, it wasn't John Hancock, it wasn't George Washington, it wasn't just Benjamin Franklin, it was Franklin and Adams and all these people involved in the North and the South who came together at the Congress, made this decision, said it had to be unanimous argued over uh, everything that was in the Declaration of Independence, and then at the end, finally made the decision as a whole to go against Britain. And still there were people who held out and fought for the British who had been American or were American and fought against fellow Americans in the country during the time. So that's the anomaly. Usually it's led by one person, then the person gets too powerful and then gets uh, suspicious uh, and becomes a paranoid person about people around them. We saw that with Lenin and Trotsky. You see this uh, with multiple Robespierre and the French Revolution. Like all of it is there. So that's why the American Revolution is such an anomaly. And this film has nothing to do with the American Revolution. (laughs) That's what I'm saying. It's like because it's one man. Um, I'll give you one other reason just because you brought it up, which is that I'm really fascinated by, which is uh, uh, Alexei de Tocqueville in Democracy in America, Mm -hmm. which is one of those books you're always supposed to have read. And I think I finally read it like two years ago. Read it in high school for history Um, class. The thing that he says that I think Mm -hmm. is so brilliant about the American Revolution is that everywhere else where you saw a revolution happen, where there was chaos and violence and bloodshed after, are in places where it was really one group oppressing another group. And the group being oppressed had no experience in governance. Right. Whereas in the American Revolution is unique because the colonies had essentially been governing themselves. They had police departments and they had had military, they Mm -hmm. had post offices, they had, you know, tax systems, they had legislatures and all this stuff that although that was all under the auspices of King George, they were still really doing the job. And those people continued to do the job 
after, as opposed to in the French Revolution, you wiped out everybody who had been in governance, yeah. and now you had all these people with no experience in governance who were really, really, really angry. Yep. And anybody who kind of looked like they were connected to, you know, the, the French king, the French aristocracy, well, they were going to get their heads cut off. Yeah. And so, and that's, and you look at the Iranian Revolution, you look at all these other, or the right. communist revolution, Soviet revolution, it's the same thing. We have to wipe out everybody that was involved in ruling the country, and now you got a whole bunch of people who have to rule the country with no experience ruling a country, <laughs> right, right. you know, and that's not what happened in the American Revolution. Exactly. So uh, I know that was maybe a long journey. I was to, enjoyable. Yeah. Um, do you have final thoughts on Fight Club? Yeah, this is an, a, such a great film to revisit um, for so many reasons. Like, even if you just break it down to just being a film about this idea of two separate people who don't, one knows there's another version of themselves, the other one doesn't, and you watch this progression through the whole film, the way it shot, the cinematography, the darkness, it borders on noir at times, uh, the grittiness of it. It's a very manly movie, and I enjoy that as a change of pace, right? I feel that about the movie, and it's enjoyable in that way. Great performances all around. This is Brad Pitt at his physical peak. This is Edward Norton at his acting peak, you could argue, and Helena Bonham Carter before she ended up going into these other kinds of roles as an as a elder statesman in a, in a way as an actress. So there's so much about this that's enjoyable. It's funny, and it still makes these incredible points about society, about uh, governments, about... Uh, our own uh, packs that we make with ourselves in order to function within the world, with our bosses, with our uh, fellow uh, people who work like ants building this thing. There's so much about it that tries to rip open what's supposed to happen in, or what society is. And I love how much it explores it. In the end, was Tyler Durden right or wrong? It's up to you to decide. I like the fact that it's a film about action on both sides. And that this is a man who starts this whole process, if you go from the Edward Norton point of view, because he's unhappy with his life, he understands, he's self-aware, he under, he's becoming self-aware, he understands that his life is already planned out for him, and he can see his grave even, and all the stuff that we see, like he's buying the Ikea stuff, that's all him making this pact with society in order to fit in. And, and this part of other part of him is created to rebel because it does not feel like the right thing to do and there can be a better existence. And so that's what the film really does, uh, in my opinion, what it accomplishes really, really well. And Fincher and Poliniak have really come together to create a phenomenal film along with the actors. So I totally agree with all that. I, for, for me, I would say the first thing is that technically in terms of the craftsmanship mm. of filmmaking, this is a masterpiece. Yes. I mean, they just, in terms of the way shots are put, this is like, you can study this for weeks to understand how films actually work because it deconstructs the film in so many different ways mm. in terms of the narration, in terms of the imagery, in terms of the intercutting, in terms of, you know, Tyler, uh, Tyler Durden talking to camera, in terms of the flashbacks, in terms of talking about filmmaking, the cigarette burns and all that, mm -hmm. in the use of sound design of music. This is a top-notch craft crafted mm -hmm. film the next thing is i think this has a ton to say about you know that that thoreau quote of of the mass of men lead lives of quiet desperation i think yeah. the world that ed norton describes that's how a lot of us feel a lot of the time mm -hmm. and the need to break out of that rule world i think this film is so profound in talking about it and then it goes into this world of madness and it goes into well wait how far do we take these things and and, and the other thing which we have to say about this movie is that depending on your point of view, this movie's really funny. Yeah. It is it is a black 
comedy. Absolutely. You know, in the same way Dr. Strangelove is about some horrible, horrible stuff and it's really funny. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's what we think about Fight Club. I hope you have survived this epic journey through this film. <laughs> of course, we always want to hear what you think. Please visit us on our Facebook page. Do a search for The Cinephiles. You can subscribe to us on iTunes or YouTube or Stitcher or a whole bunch of other places. Please leave reviews on iTunes. Leave comments on Stitcher. If you want to suggest a film, you can do so on our Patreon page, patreon.com slash The Cinephiles. And as always, you can reach me at SR Morris on Twitter. John, where can they reach you? You guys can always reach me at The Roca Says on Twitter and Instagram. See all the uh, shows I'm a part of and all the stuff I'm doing over at Collider and uh, some other surprises coming down the road. Ooh, surprises. Yes. Um, I think <laughs> that's it for this week. You'll have to tune in to find out about those surprises <laughs> next time on The Cinephiles. <laughs>